You are listening to Victory Alabang Podcast. What exactly compels us to have compassion for others? Listen to this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Now we are going through the series entitled The Gap, and we're talking about compassion. Everybody say compassion. And that's exactly what we're looking at for two weeks. Last week we talked about God's compassion that we serve a compassionate God, and today we're going to be talking about a compassionate people. Now, how many of you are compassionate people? Anybody compassionate people? I'm hoping that all of us will, you know, we're, we're compassionate people only because we serve a compassionate God. Now, the reason why we can also be compassionate is because God's compassion and love and mercy and forgiveness and graciousness compels us to be kind and compassionate to others. So to give us, uh, once again, a quick review of what we're talking about in the next, uh, for, the, for the past two weeks. Uh, basically, we hope that everybody will understand God's compassion. And uh, last week, we basically defined compassion as to suffer with, uh, mercy. We talked about uh, pity, more than pity. It's really asking, what can I do for you? And so we want to understand God's compassion as exemplified by Christ himself, and hopefully that will move us to social responsibility by, you know, uh, being involved in, uh, you know, by, by being the church of God and really extending our hands and our feet to be able to touch others, okay? And so uh, it, the, boy, the starting point really is us having a compassionate God. And we, uh, last week we talked about Exodus chapter 34, verse 67. In fact, it's interesting that our music groups uh, sang that song, Compassion is His Name, because that is really how God introduced Himself to Moses uh, when He was about to give them a second batch of the Ten Commandments. Okay, remember the first batch of stones? Okay, because of, you know, because of the people sinning, Moses smashed it, and then God gave him a second set. Same commandments, okay, but a second set this time. But then, uh, Moses, uh, God introduced Himself, he, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming what? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate. Everybody say compassionate. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to what? How many of you are glad that God is slow to anger? God is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And this is the starting point. The only way that we can show compassion to other people is because we know that our God was compassionate to us first. And that's exactly what we talked about last week. Just to give us a short review, our God is but he, he sees. God sees our situation. Whatever you're concerned with right now, how many of you know God sees that? Whatever you're going through right now, no matter how difficult your situation is, no matter how good uh, you know, your situation is, God sees that. And He's rejoicing you in the great moments. He also is standing with you in moments that are hard and seemingly difficult. Okay? God does not only see, He also hears. God hears. God hears the cries of His people. How many of you sometimes cry out to God? Hopefully we cry out to God every single day. We can actually reach out to Him because our God has active ears. Everybody active ears. He listens to the cries of His saints and of His people. God hears. And not only does God see and hear, but God acts. He, he moves. He actually is concerned about us. He moves in situation which is, which is basically beyond our capability to help ourselves. And the reason why we entitled this The Gap is because we want to look at the gap between 
I, I, you know, as I was looking at this particular series, we really are talking about gaps of different things. First, we have the gap between a holy God. Okay? We, we are serving a holy God. How many of you know that we are serving a holy God? But the problem with that is, since He is holy and man is sinful, there's a gap between a holy God and a sinful man. Isn't it? Who bridged that gap between a holy God and a sinful man? Jesus, right? And that is, he, He's the one who bridged the gap. And He bridged the gap between us, you know, a sinful man serving a holy God. But at the same time, we're looking at, for this particular series on compassion, we're looking at the gap between the rich and the poor. That there is somehow a growing gap between the rich and the poor. We heard last week that uh, uh, when uh, former President Jimmy Carter uh, who's the founder of Habitat for Humanity, was uh, receiving his Nobel Peace Prize, he was basically talking about one of the greatest problems of man right now is the growing gap between the rich and the poor. In fact, we found this article in... Uh, oh, sorry. I'm not sure if you can see that. This particular article in... Uh, it says, The Philippines uh, elite swallow the country's new wealth. While this article is talking about uh, a celebration of uh, the Philippines now being a, a, a rising tiger in Asia. And how many of you know that the Philippines is no longer the sick man of Asia? We're no longer the sick man of Asia, by the way. Okay, how many of you know that is something that we can rejoice with? Amen. And, you know, things have been turning around for our country. Things have been turning around for our economy. We're no longer classified as the sick man of Asia. We're now classified as the new rising tiger economy in Asia. Amen. While we can rejoice with that fact, one thing can be concerning though. That the Philippines, according to uh, the study, is probably the biggest gap among the Asian countries with regards to the rich and the poor. That somehow, if you look at the disparity between the rich and the poor, 40% of families own 76% of the nation's riches. I mean, you know, that is quite alarming. And I believe that, you know, there is a possibility that, you know, the gap can be closed. You know, in, in fact, even Japan itself, okay, the disparity between the rich and the poor, you know, the, 40%, the 40, top 40% family only owns about 2% of the nation's economy. But in the case of the Philippines, it's 76% of world, uh, you know, uh, national GDP uh, being controlled by 40%. Uh, of uh, top families, okay, by only 40 families. And so, you see that as a picture of somehow we can rejoice. Yeah, there's, you know, our, our economy is now uh, growing, but at the same time, I believe that we have a uh, responsibility. You know, it's not, it's not our fault that the poor is poor. But somehow, as a church, there is a responsibility that we need to play as well. Amen. And so, I'd like us all to stand up right now. We're going to be reading from the New Testament this time. And we're going to be reading and looking at um, Luke chapter 10. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can open it to, uh, you may open it to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading from uh, verses 25 to 37. Okay? This is uh, quite a uh, long read. Okay? So, bear with me. Okay? Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Starting with verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how many of you know the answer? 
uh, you know, the answer to that is, of course, through Christ alone, okay? But yet, Jesus answered by asking a question. And he said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In verse 27, it says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of you love yourself already? It's a given. But my question today is, do we love our neighbor in the same way we love ourselves? And it says in verse 28, you, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, the lawyer. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of, the, of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. He basically sidestepped. So to a Levite, somebody who's working in the temple, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, he's not even a Jew. Not even a priest nor a Levite, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took what? Pity on him. In another translation, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on what? Oil and wine. You know, as I was uh, making some comments yesterday, as I was preaching last night in the 5 o'clock service, I said, you know, I don't know why he gave him wine. Maybe just to, you know, make him feel better, Okay. But somehow, you know, the reason why he poured oil is because oil is used to clean up the wounds and to remove the blood clots. And wine is used for anesthetic and disinfectant purposes. In fact, if you go to war and you are, for example, uh, wounded as a soldier, the first uh, thing that they do is to pour wine on your wounds before they treat you. Okay, so they don't want to get, you know, he didn't want to get that man drunk, okay, so... That's not the way to interpret the scripture, okay? So wine was poured merely to anesthetize the pain. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will what? Reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? And it's interesting to note that when... Jesus was making a comment. He was not talking about that man who was beaten as the neighbor. He was basically referring, who's the neighbor? Who among the three was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Are you seeing the difference? So the neighbor that we're not asking today is, whom do I help? Who is my neighbor? That's not the question. Of, that's not what Jesus was referring to. Jesus referred to the neighbor as among the three. Who was the neighbor to the man who was beaten? Okay? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do, do likewise. That's how I can pray. Father, thank you so much. Because we stand here today only by your grace. We thank you, Lord God, that you are a compassionate God. You're slow to anger, abounding in love. And as your people, Lord God, we thank you that we can come boldly into your presence. We can enjoy uh, your presence, God. We can enjoy receiving your, your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy, and your love. But at the same time, we thank you, Lord God, that you also help us 
to extend the same compassion, the same love, the same kindness to others. Lord, bless your people today. In whatever we're going through right now, I thank you that we can look beyond our own physical needs and even start uh, looking at the needs of others. Lord, may, may we be the church. May we be the extension of your hands and your feet, Lord God, to be able to uh, affect people's lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. Alright, so last week we talked about you know, a compassionate God. Today we're going to be talking about compassionate people. Now the, the, the context of this particular story when Jesus was uh, uh, talking to this expert, basically this expert of the law or maybe this lawyer, he basically knew the scriptures. Okay? Not sure if he's a Pharisee, but somehow he's very familiar with the text. And, you know, he didn't really want to know about how to inherit eternal life. Basically, the reason why he was there is because he wanted to test Jesus. That was the main, the main motive okay, of this man, of this uh, guy. And so he was asking Jesus, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because, you know, he, he tests if Jesus kind of knew the scripture. So instead of Jesus giving a straight answer, what did he do? He asked him back a question. Okay, so what do you think? You know, how many people that is counseling 101? Okay, you know, pastor, you know, I have a problem. You know, this is my biggest problem. So you go back and, you know, what do you think? Okay, you know, what does the scripture say about, you know, and, and many times we realize that our problems can be solved by reading the scripture. Amen. That's the reason why we want you to read your Bible and pray every day. Amen. You know, can you imagine if you read your Bibles every day, maybe about 90% of counseling situation is already over. Because we find the wisdom, we find the answers to our problems basically from God. But anyway, that's just beside the point. So Jesus basically answered the man, so what does the scripture say? And it's interesting that the guy knew about the two greatest commandments. He basically saw, he did not, you know, he did not give, give a litany of all the laws. He did not quote the whole uh, book of Leviticus and a summary of Deuteronomy. Basically, he said, well, you know, there's two commandments, okay? Basically, he's saying, love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, that's one commandment. And the second one is, love others. Love your neighbors as yourself. As I said earlier, it's not a question anymore. If we love ourselves, we love ourselves. Okay? There's even a song about that. The greatest love of all. But that's wrong. Okay? But anyway, <laughs> that's not the greatest love of all. Learning to love yourself. Of course, the greatest love of all is loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, how many of you love God? Please raise your hand. We all love God. Uh, we have different expressions of loving Him. Uh, you know, we are so grateful. The reason why we love God is not because, you know, the reason why we come to church, hopefully, is not because it's a duty or an obligation. I hope that we don't come to church with that motivation or that frame of mind. I hope that we come to church because we love God. Amen. I hope we give our tithes and offerings is because we love God. I hope that the reason why we serve the people and we serve the poor is because we love God. I hope that we, the reason why we attend a small group is because we love God. The reason why we raise up godly kids is because we love God. That's the prime motivation. Okay? And so, it's not a question. But yet my, you know, I, as I study this particular commandments, two commandments, you know, we, we see that there's also somehow maybe a gap between the two. 
There are some Christians who love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, but they just stay there. In other words, there are some people who are so heavenly-minded but no earthly good. Parang, wow, you know, Lord, kunin mo na ako, rapture fever, you know, I love you, I want to be with you, I want to stay in your presence, you know, dito na na ako, Lord, I'm just going to pray the whole day, I'm just going to love you the whole day, mm, you're my loving, compassionate God. Lord. And there's people like that. My question is, is your love for God felt by the people around you? Because if not, then there's a gap between loving God and loving others. Because Jesus himself said in another scripture, these two commandments are the greatest commandments because the second one is just like it. The second one being loving your neighbor as yourself. It's as important as loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'm not just talking about also focusing on just loving others. It's, it's not a social gospel that, you know, you, know, you go out and, you know, uh, leave your job and go and live among the poor and, you know, just, you know, you basically sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and, you know, just serve them because there are, there are NGOs that are doing that because it's not just about helping the poor, feeding the hungry, you know, caring for the sick. It's not just about that, but that's important. How many of you know that is important? Because that's what God expects of us as His church. But we're not just Focusing on that, there has to be a tension and a balance between these two. In fact, even Jesus himself, you know, when he fed the 5,000, he didn't just feed the 5,000. Yes, he multiplied the five loaves and two fish, and then he fed the 5,000. How many of you that is a miracle in one day, right? That's why they wanted him to be king. But yet he didn't stop there. After feeding the 5,000, he basically told them, you know, I am the bread of life. Because it's more than just meeting the needs. You know, it's more than just having felt needs. It's really going after the real needs of the people. Okay? Uh, you know, St. Teresa of uh, Avila says, God, Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go out about doing good, and yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. In other words, we are the body of Christ. There's no other body of Christ. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you are a member of the body. Okay? <laughs> Make them feel it. Okay? Um, because Christ himself will not come down here again and you know, with his glorified body and start feeding people again and helping the poor. We are the body of Christ. This is it. This is what you see and this is what God wants to use for us to be able to touch other people. So I was talking earlier, you know, Jesus did not just meet felt needs. He went after the real needs of people. That's why I believe that it's not just about us, you know, uh, giving of ourselves to others or maybe helping the poor. Yes, that's important, but we need to point them back to the real reason why they are in desperate situation, which is... Christ himself that they need. Okay? Jesus, after feeding, as I said earlier, introduced himself as the bread of life. When he raised up Lazarus from the dead, remember Lazarus? But Jesus declared when Lazarus was dead, and the way they wrapped the dead during that time is they wrapped them in a, in a cloth. So he was basically wrapped in the tomb. 
And I believe that when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And so, you know, you see this dead man basically jumping up from his tomb. Hindi to parang walking dead, right? And yet, after that, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It always points back to Christ. When He healed the blind man, He said, I am the light of the world. My question is, when you help the poor, we, or you know, when you do something that's good, you always have to point them back to Christ. Because He is the real need of the people who are in desperate situations. Amen. Now let's go back to the, the story. I find that there are three different attitudes towards the needy. Okay? And uh, basically this was the parable that Jesus was talking about. And he highlighted our, basically our responsibility because basically the man was asking, now who is my neighbor? Okay? So the first attitude or the first character in this particular story is the crooked. Okay? Everybody say the crooked. Now, this basically is represented by the robbers. In verse 30, it says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where when he fell into the hands of the robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this guy was traveling in a road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. And when I, when I actually went uh, in Israel about three years ago, uh, our, our Bible teacher basically led us down, down that route. Okay? And it was a steep route, okay, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was major isolated during that time, okay. And he was saying that it was a big risk because maybe this man was taking a shortcut. I mean, if you sometimes wanted to take a shortcut, okay. And he took a shortcut, and then he fell into the hands of the robbers. And so uh, there's these guys who are basically the crooked guys uh, who whose uh, motivation is to take advantage of the needy. Take advantage of other people. In fact, you know, some people are saying, dalawa lang naman tao sa mundo, di ba? Yung isang nandoloko, tsaka isang naloloko. I mean, if you've heard of that statement. For those of you who are foreigners, you know, there are only two people in the world. You know, I, I hear this being said, okay? Those who take advantage of people and those who are taken advantage of. And so, I, they're saying growing up, you know, I'd rather be the one taking advantage of people, okay? Because I want to be the wise man. Of course, that's a crooked attitude. And, you know, that's, I believe, the job description of the devil. John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life, and life to the full. Of course, we don't want to belabor this uh, particular thought. Okay? The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. That's the basic description of the crooked. Okay, taking advantage of people instead of helping other people, nang pa. Okay. Second attitude are the careless whisper. Okay. Careless. These are those that are insensitive. These are the thoughtless people. These are people who probably have some resource, but they are apathetic. And so we see this particular character in the person of the priest and the Levite. Can you imagine what an irony? These are the very guys who know the law, but yet they fail to do the spirit of the law. But the priest is somebody who is a mediator between God and man. He was probably the one 
doing sacrifices, the high priest is the one doing sacrifice for the people, okay, in the, in the nation of Israel. And the Levite is the one who helps in the temple, in the tabernacle, okay? So when you talk about the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, and they're familiar with that. But yet maybe busy sila. How I many of you are sometimes too busy to help others? Okay, and they probably said, okay, I, I'm going down. They, they went down the same road. They passed by on the other side. They saw the man, but yet they took a side step. The Levite did the same thing. And I'm just wondering, why is, you know, why is there so much apathy? You know, it seems that this world is only after self-preservation. It's only about what's in it for me. If, if I'm not going to benefit from this relationship, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. But yet, how many of you know when you talk about compassion, it's not what you can get, it's about what you can give. Maybe one of the reasons is because of convenience. Why do people remain apathetic to the needs of others? Maybe it's because it's inconvenient for them. Okay? Ask him. You know, I'm busy, you know, I don't have the time to do that. Or maybe this person, you know, approaches you in the middle of the night and I don't want to go get up anymore. Okay? Or maybe early in the morning, you know. Whatever it is. Okay? Maybe you don't want to get out of your comfort zone to be able to give at least a, a small time to that person who is in need. Maybe the second reason is capability. Maybe you think, I also have needs. Why will I meet the needs of others if me, myself, have a big need? You know, I, God, you know, I'm praying to God for a breakthrough. Why will I help you? Okay? I'm not capable of helping other people. Maybe that's another uh, situation or maybe another reason why people remain in apathy. You know, but you have to imagine, you have to actually understand that when the, the Good Samaritan was you know, about to help this guy who was beaten and who was left half dead, he didn't give him money in the first place. What was the first thing he did? He basically carried the man. You know, he carried him and burdened him, put him on his donkey, and then cleaned up his wounds. Basically, he served that man. And, you know, it doesn't take much for us to be able to help others. Amen. How many of you have sometimes had needs? You had needs. You are in need of, you know, uh, a person carrying you or maybe unburdening you or maybe helping you. And whatever, I'm not talking about just financial needs. I'm talking about any kind of need. Maybe a need for encouragement. How many of you get discouraged from time to time? How many of you sometimes need encouragement? You know, I do. I do need some encouragement from time to time. Sometimes I just look at the mirror, I encourage. <laughs> but it doesn't take much. And sometimes we justify, Lord, hindi ko kaya. You know, I have other needs. You know, I have other priorities. But I believe that God can actually step in this, you know, whatever uh, capability we have. Or maybe constituency. Maybe that person does not belong to the same group as you have. Diba? Or maybe, ah, hindi ko naman Can you imagine, this guy was used by God. He was a Samaritan. He was not even a Jew. And I believe that the reason why Jesus used that particular scripture is to point to them that it doesn't matter what group you are in. He was an outcast, a Samaritan. And yet he was willing to help this guy who was beaten on the road. 
not sure if this is a familiar picture with you, but there was a, uh, a video that became viral about several years ago. I'm not going to show the video because this was very alarming. There's this Chinese toddler that was run over by a car. Uh, I'm not going to, this is not a video, this is just a clip shot, okay? So, because this is very disturbing. Anyway, this toddler was somehow crossing the street, and there's a car that ran over the toddler. And guess what? Nobody there to help the toddler. About 19 people passed by. You know, you see the guy in the bike, and you know, there's somebody again who passed by, and somebody passes by. Nobody. 19 people before that toddler was actually helped. Why such apathy? Maybe because it's not my problem. Maybe because you know, I can't help, I'm busy, I'm too, you know. And there are those different reasons why people just don't care. In Proverbs 21, verse 13, it says, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, what will happen? He too will cry out and not be answered. What a scary thought. And how many of you, again, before had a need? And how many of you are glad that somebody met that need? Maybe it's a prayer need. Maybe it's just an encouragement. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a prayer for healing. We all have needs. And the third character, the third attitude towards the needy is the compassionate. Okay, we see this in the life of the Good Samaritan. Basically, the summary is he moved with compassion. He gave of himself, his time, and even his resource. He checked him in the inn, gave the innkeeper some money, and then he said, if there's some more that you need, I'm willing to give some more. Because when you talk about compassion, compassion involves sacrifice. And it involves sacrificial action. Okay? You know, we see this with God himself. Because He is a compassionate God. He didn't just take pity on us. He took compassion on us and He sacrificed by sending His own Son to die on the cross for us. Jonathan Edwards said, How is that rule fulfilled of bearing one another's burdens if we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens? But not only when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? <laughs> In other words, how do you lift the burden of others without you being burdened yourself? Definitely, if you're carrying the weight of another person, how many of you know that you are carrying the weight? There is a burden on top of you. And there is a sacrifice involved in that. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. It's more than just convictions and motives, guys. Motives is fine. Conviction is good. You know, I, I pray for you, you know. But I believe that God wants to use our body to become instruments of His healing, of His encouragement, and even of His provision. Amen. Proverbs 14, verse 31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy, what? Honors God. You want to honor God? This is one way to honor God. Being kind to the needy. Proverbs 19.17. I like it first. He who is kind to the poor, what? Lends to the Lord. 
Can you think about that verse for a while? You know, the Lord does not owe anybody anything. But then there's just one verse in the Bible that says, He is a debtor to you. If you, is, if you are kind to the poor. Parang po sinabi mo, Lord, ah, I'm kind to the poor. Of course, that's not the motive. But somehow, God will look at that and He will reward. The Bible says, and He will reward him for what He has done. You know, when you help the poor, somehow there's a special tug in the Lord's heart for you. Because God's heart is also towards the poor. You know, when we were beginning this ministry, actually, uh, uh, maybe about a few years, early on in our, in our uh, uh, ministry, I think back in the early 90s, we were attending a uh, pastor's retreat and we had a, uh, a guest from the stage who was a prophet. And uh, this particular prophet basically said, you know, if you take care of the poor, I will take care of your ministry. And, you know, just at the, about that time, I remember back in the day when, you know, we were a very young ministry, uh, mostly students, and, you know, uh, the, the, the offerings were heavy. Literally heavy with coins, okay? So, uh, you know, because, because we were students at that time, back in the late 80s, early 90s, we were giving coins for the offerings. And so, um, and sometimes there are needs for the church. And I remember those full-time uh, uh, people, okay? Sometimes Pastor Steve would stand, in the, stand them up in the, in the church and uh, basically receive an offering for them so that because they don't have salary for the, for the week, okay? That was the situation, but yeah, when this prophet came, uh, early 90s, basically gave a declaration in a prophetic uh, word. And he said, if you take care of the poor, I will take care of your ministry. And from that time on, we set aside a percentage of our church uh, offerings to be given to the poor and needy in the church and outside our ministry. And guess what? Right at that point, and I'm not kidding you on this, right at that point when we start doing that, God took our finances to the next level as a church and as a ministry, and we were never the same. And how many of you know that that scripture is true? If you are kind to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and He will reward you for what you have. And guess what? After that, we've seen the offering shoot up, and we have been continuing uh, to be generous, not only to the people in the church. We're helping out other ministries as well. We're giving out uh, to the building projects of, of other ministries. And so God has been, you know, at the same time, as you give, how many of you know that God will give you back in return? Amen. And that is a blessing. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. And we're not apologetic for this because this is Bible. This is Scripture. If you are kind to the poor, you lend to the Lord. He will reward you for what you have done. Okay? He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. In other words, who should we help? When you talk about the poor, parang, wow, this is just a big statement. You know, we have a growing uh, population of the poor in our, in our nation. You don't have to look far. You know, Jesus did not help everyone in Israel at that time. He was able to help those who are immediately right in front of Him, those who had encounter with Jesus. He healed the sick, those who had encounter with Him. He fed those who are those who are hungry, those who are encountered with him. So who's our neighbor? Who do you help for? Those in your immediate vicinity, your proximity. You don't have to look far. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's somebody in the church. Maybe it's somebody that you know who needs help. 
If you have the power to help, then go and do it. Okay? How do we help? You don't have to have much. It starts with you giving up your life to that person, praying with them, standing with them, okay? Just sharing with them what you have, okay? And why do we help? Ultimately, it's not because of parasikatayo. It's because you want to honor God. We help because ultimately we want to be grateful for what God has done to us because He's first been compassionate and gracious to us. And that's the entire, the, the, the prime motivation why we help. God's compassion compels us to help others. And as we finish this particular sermon, I want to show you another video. Last week we, we uh, showed you a video on the scholars of real life. And uh, real life is actually our, uh, you know, we're not taking an offering. Okay? This is more just an awareness. Okay? And uh, a heart to, to go out for the poor. Now, and we want to focus in this particular video uh, somehow the motivation of the givers, why they help uh, this uh, young people. Okay? Dear Miss Agnes, my name is Jonathan. I just want to say thank you for all the support you have given me. I pray that God will bless you more because you are a blessing to many. Seeing them, it was like having uh, a flashback. Not many people know this, but I came from a very humble beginnings. My father was a farmer in Mandaka, and my nanai was a school teacher. One of the things I really value is Scripture wherever you work, 
every believer has a responsibility to care for the poor. And there's always someone more poor and more needy than you are. So there's always someone that you can be responsible for caring for. Can we just give the Lord a hand for that? Interesting that even uh, these people who are giving to uh, real life, uh, basically they're looking at uh, the commitment and calling and basically a commandment of God, you know, uh, as, as God has exemplified in the scriptures. And you know, as a church, God's called us to reach out to the lost and, uh, you know, exactly what we're doing. Uh, and uh, we are you know, doing our very best to preach the gospel and disciple people to reach the lost. So, humble beginnings as well. We didn't go to the rich uh, part of the city, uh, basically to this district, but God somehow has moved our founder to go to the University Belt and really plant a church there. The very first church to be planted was really a university church. Most all students. And I, I was one of, uh, I was part of those, uh, that batch. And, uh, God also has called us to reach the nations and we, you know, we really look after God's churches being planted in the different nations. This reason why we remind ourselves uh, once a month about this. But also, God is calling us to reach the poor. You know, uh, many of us, you know, as this videos have actually uh, talked about, many of us didn't really come from rich families. We come from humble beginnings, right? And, then, you know, many, you know, the reason why. You know, maybe some of you are in middle class uh, homes or maybe upper middle class homes because you know, God has been gracious to us. And, you know, I had this, I shared the same story, you know, as I said last week, that I was born in Guadalajara. I basically grew up the first seven years of my life. So, somehow it was a meager income that my, my, my parents would share. Somehow we've seen the grace and the faithfulness of God in our family and brought us out of that situation, situation where and as we reach the lost, you know, this is basically our church. You know, our God has given us uh, victory. Okay? Christian fellowship basically as an instrument or as a vehicle in order for us to reach the lost. Reaching the campus, God has given us life box. And if you're a teenager, you're doing this. And reaching the nations, we have every nation ministries that basically covers uh, that particular uh, need that we have. And in order for us to be able to reach the poor, somehow God has placed real life foundation in our midst. And it's not just about us feeding the hungry, because if you feed them today, tomorrow they're going to be hungry again. Okay? If you give them clothing, uh, maybe in the next few months they need more clothes. But basically, real life foundation is a foundation for us to be able to uh, bring education to those who are in need, who cannot afford education. And that's what scholarship is all about. And so we've somehow seen that there is a direct proportion of poverty with education, and as you introduce education to the lives of people, that somehow you alleviate the poor because you're not addressing only a person's need, but somehow if a student is educated, he basically is, you know, helps out in the family and eventually in his entire uh, community. Okay? And so, uh, that's where we are, and it's not about us just institutionalizing real life, by the way. I mean, helping the poor does not have to go through real life. The reason why we're talking about this message is because 
we have a responsibility. And I'm not just limiting this to real life. You, you know, what can you do to help the poor? You know, I, I see Diana Collins here, and you know, Diana basically uh, left, left, left the states, came here, gave up her life to be able to serve uh, about 60 young children in an orphanage called My Father's House Orphanage. And you know, it's not even a part of victory. Uh, ministry, but somehow we have gotten close in this ministry. We've actually helped with them, and there have been such a blessing um, to us, and we share the same burden with them as well. And the teachers that they have right now are part of this church, and they are teachers of this church, and they are victory group leaders of this church. Their children, the children in that orphanage, many of them are born again already. They are being disciples. The children that you watched here last week dancing before you, they are from my father's house. Amen. And how many of you are blessed by that? Because it doesn't take much. Come on, take a little hand. And, you know, Diana is just one of those people who are doing what they can do to help those who are in need. What can you do? We have a a couple in in the fort who also uh, founded a a foundation, okay, uh, to help help, uh, sweet kids. And so maybe you have an opportunity for you to be able to start something. But as a minister, as a ministry, we have a responsibility and somehow we've organized this so, so that we can actually be able to help uh, touch and change uh, lives in our nation. Amen. Talking about Good Samaritan. Ultimately, we have a great Samaritan. And that is Jesus himself. You know, you look at that story again and you imagine who was that man beaten on the road, rocks stripped off his clothing, and basically left half dead. We are that person. We used to be that person needing of salvation. We need, we need, we need rescuing. We need help. And this great Samaritan came along. He didn't just sacrifice a bit and gave a token sacrifice for us so that we can be healed. Basically, he gave his life for us so that we can have He died so that you and I He became We hope you were inspired by that message. The Victory Family extends God's compassion to the less fortunate through our Real Life Foundation, which supports and provides deserving scholars with a good education to empower their dreams. To learn more about Real Life Foundation, please visit www.igivetolife.com. Thank you, and stay connected.